Hello world, this is Mike, and welcome to the Mike Mantel podcast. On this podcast, I will be exploring wisdom and the state of culture by entering into trippy, intimate, conversational vortices with thought leaders and waymakers and big splashers from all different angles of the consciousness movement. So today's guest is a guy named Ernest Morrow. And dude, I had an amazing time talking to Ernest. He was such a deep, poetic thinker. And just like, more than a thinker, he's just like an embodier of life. So he has a program called uh, Becoming Human. And he just helps people live fully. And he was just such a wise, rich, honest investigator of life i really appreciated talking to him and we talked about some cool stuff like a lot the thing that like really resonated with me in this conversation was this idea to live at the teeth of the wind is just the ideal way to live life in order to get to live it most fully and this idea that we're all afraid to be in heartbreak But once you're willing to be in heartbreak and just like live fully in life and experience it all, like that's what it's all about. And I just loved that um, philosophy and like really resonated with him. So I originally met Ernest through a buddy of mine, Nathan Heinz. And I think Nathan's actually coming out with a podcast soon too. And I'll keep you posted on that if he does, because this guy is awesomely like so talented, so hilarious, so theatrical. Anyways, so I met Ernest through him, and I took a free class with Ernest a couple years ago, and it, it was cool. I got some like good tips from it, and it clicked, and I'd always wanted to continue following up with him, and then the thought just crossed my mind of like, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk to Ernest about on the podcast. And so we did. And if you enjoy this episode or enjoy this podcast at all, please, if you would go to iTunes and give a five-star rating and or review... Boy, I would be, truthfully, I'd be very grateful. I would really, really appreciate, I'd really, really appreciate the time. And I'm also offering a trade right now as an experiment, where if it feels in alignment with you, if you give this podcast five stars and are ready to review, send me a Facebook message and I'll check out your Facebook and I will give you as sincere a compliment as I possibly can. I believe complimenting is an art form and I would love the practice and also like what's better than receiving a sincere compliment, right? It's great. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so anyways, feel free uh, to take me up on that if you want. Cool. Thank you again for joining. I love you. I appreciate you. Um, You're a human being and so you're awesome because humans are awesome. Uh, Go humans. I hope you enjoy and I will see you on in there. Yeah, baby. Actually, just give me two seconds because there's some crazy metronome happening in my ears. Oh, okay. Okay, there we go. Oh, wow. That was really terrible for a second. Okay. That would have been interesting if we had just been talking on a, a metronome to pace the whole time. <laughs> totally. Quarter, quarter beats the whole time. Right. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm curious to start with, I don't know, what's been, what have you been contemplating recently? I think a lot of my recent contemplation or or relationship with life arising is through the i'm not even gonna call it insight because it feels like it's a different level than that but it's 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 an experience of the ongoingness of 
I suppose, death, um, the ongoingness of the impermanence, you know, the ongoingness of trauma, the ongoingness of uh, the falling away that is part of the mystery of this arising and falling away that, it, that we call life, but really just being in a experiential connection with a deep sense of huh there really isn't any way that this improves itself um this is what it is <laughs> you know this is life this arising and falling away you know this is this is life it's 50 50. um and for me personally how that really lands on me is like what do i do if I don't invest myself in what seems to me a largely fruitless project of trying to manage and manipulate and make life into something other than what it really actually appears to be, which is this ongoing, changing, constantly in flux phenomenon of arising and passing away. How do I live my life if I'm not in resistance to that? In not being in resistance to just the constant flow of impermanence and being in acceptance or whatever the opposite of resistance is, does that does orienting yourself that way change the type of decisions you make in your life? I think so. I think the choice to to strategize and figure a way out of the dilemma that I'm in by being alive reveals itself as a largely uh, exhausting way to occupy my time. I don't necessarily, I, I sometimes think I still choose that um, because there's drama there. I mean, there's, there's actually a great deal of play and fun and, and kind of, you know, you know, uh, what am I going to do today? I'm going to wake up and I'm going to like resist the universe. I mean, like that's, there's, there's actually a sense of, <laughs> of power and like, what the hell? Like, I'm free to wake up and resist the universe. Like, holy crap. Like, wow. Right. I'm alive. I'm a human being. I'm alive. I can wake up and say no. That's incredible. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of um, juice there. However, uh, as I sit with it, I'm beginning to realize that that having, giving myself the alternative to say yes to life instead of no, basically, instead to say What's what's arising here? What's my relationship with what's arising? How am I how am I going to allow this to penetrate me? How am I going to allow life to penetrate me? How am I going to re actually receive what's what's happening before I make a decision about whether or not I like it? Um, and if I don't like it, you know how to change it. And if I do like it, how to get you know how to make sure that it happens some more. Um, so I think in that in that way, I, yeah, the decisions I make about how to spend my time, my energy, how to occupy my nervous system, uh, do have a sense of, of of focusing on different layers of my experience. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because that's interesting. I like I like that. Uh, I like the kind of the existential freedom that comes with like, yeah, I can resist this if I want to. And when I, when I was hearing you talk and imagining what it means for me to not resist life and to allow it to penetrate me, I don't know, I think that like can happen on multiple levels. Like one, 
in any given moment, I'm, I'm feeling things and like, uh, there are parts of me that want to be expressed and I can either neglect that or just like, oh, let it out and like, let it happen and let that guide me. But also on like a bigger scale, it feels like life is constantly giving me opportunities and almost like showing me a path in some way. And when I let life penetrate me, part of that for me is like dropping my identity and assumptions of what I thought my life was going to look like and letting it just like happen as it really wants to. So I was curious, like when you talk about letting life penetrate you instead of resisting it, does it look different? Like, does it look different from the outside or is it just living with more of a sense of peace? That's such a good question. Um, it seems to me that the content of my life can always be approached from either my head or my heart. I don't, I haven't discovered a third way yet. If there is a third way, I don't know about it. I haven't found anybody who teaches about it, but maybe there's a third way. But for me right now, there's just two options. One's head, one's heart, one's nervous system, one's tension. That's, that's my head, my ego, if you want to call it that, my false self system, my strategies for control basically. And the other is the, the, my heart, which is in a sense, a deep, uh, basic trust or a, you know, abiding sense of heldness that, um, that, that there's something deeper than my fear that's holding this whole thing. You could call that love, I suppose. I often like just to call it life. Life is holding me having my experience. Um, and it does strike me that I can actually be engaged in the exact same activity in my life from my head or from my heart. And the difference seems to me to be the space between whether or not I'm actively involved in trying to control, steer, mold, manage, otherwise, you know, uh, influence the external conditions of the world as it is in my moment in order to, you know, wrestle it into a shape that's more pleasing to my sensibility at that moment in time. Or I'm in a, a, a more intimate embrace almost you know there still can be a conversation happening but it's much more like uh you know like love making than it is like uh a wrestling match in which there's the, there's a deep listening and there's a response to that listening or a you know a feeling for openings and a feeling for you know a direction or a current or the grain of the wood you know as it's you know as as I'm as I'm working with it, but it's, it's, it's much more relational and it's free from the story or the belief that unless I get this thing onto the trolley tracks that I want it to be on, I'm not going to be okay. There's a freedom to say, you know, I, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I'm, 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 I'm here to be surprised. I don't know what's going to happen next. I've never been here before. So there's a real humility, but also undergirding that a sense of, um, I suppose, a sense of peace, to use the $64 spiritual word, you know, or a sense of well-being or a sense of, but for me, it's just, it's more just like being relaxed. Like, it's just like, you know, it's human. It's like, I'm okay. It's okayness. You know, that would be, I'd, I'd prefer the 10 cent word, you know, that's, that's, that's not even really a word. Um, but it's just like this okayness that I'm and I'm and, and availability 
for what's going to happen next. This, this, my heart being able to say, I don't know. Of course I've done. No- of course I don't know. I've never been here before. None of us have. You know, I've never, I've never done this moment in time before. How the hell am I supposed to know how it's going to work out? Um, but inside of that, just a kind of freedom. And I think that actually I can be involved in, you know, building a business or uh, being in an intimate relationship or parenting my kids or whatever the heck I'm doing from either of those two places. One in which what I'm interacting with is perceived through the lens of it's a problem that needs to be fixed, or this is a puzzle that needs to be, or that's inviting me to work it out, um, to be in a dance with. And that distinction between problem and puzzle for me is the distance between my head and my heart. Hmm. Do you have a title that you use to describe either the work you do or like the way that you transmit your wisdom? Yeah, well, I've I've played with a lot of different things over over the years, um, and I think I've continued to refine it. Um, and right now, what I talk about with people is becoming human. That's what I call this stuff, becoming human, which really, again, is like almost a non-title. Right? It's like, um, but it strikes me that our culture, probably our you know generationally, maybe our species, who knows, but that we've got this deep, deep conditioning that resists life, you know, in a sense, lives life largely governed by the problem of the mind, right? That problem generating machine that is the mind. And to truly become human is actually to accept ourselves actually as, as human beings, um, not as, uh, you know, unfortunate angels or something like that, that, you know, like stumbled into a body uh, and, and are trying to find our way out. Uh, back to the source, back to the one, but actually maybe taking our incarnation at face value a little bit more and saying, you know what, I'm a human being. What is it to be human? What is it to really be in this world of limitation? What is it to be in this world in which my emotions are so powerful? What is it to be in this world in which desire is so integral to my experience of, of being alive and the way that I interact with other people, right? I'm, I, you know, to be human is to be a social person. And so to be dependent on other beings for my, you know, my sense of, of, of myself, my sense of where I am and, 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 and who I am and, and also in community and in relationship, you know, having needs that can only get met there that are my human, you know, part of my human beingness. And so uh, I really, I started out, you know, way back when, um, very much in the spiritual teacher vein of things, you know, spiritual teacher, spiritual guidance, spiritual mentoring. I worked inside of the institutional religious world for a while, and then I left that and more worked in the new age, kind of white light world for a while. Um, And over the years, my path has been, you know, more and more granular, more and more into the body, more and more into, into, can I really be free to have my human experience in this moment without contriving or controlling or seeking to alter it somehow with my nervous system to meet my agenda? Um, 
so that's the work for me these days is 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 myself obviously i'm involved in this work personally deeply every day becoming human and it's also more or less why people seek me out these days and and often that's because um more than anything else in the world it seems that human beings want an experience of intimacy and uh and and so this becoming human for me is is really the path of intimacy in a, as a human being Inti- intimacy with myself intimacy with my life intimacy with another or a community or a family uh, but in my experience I, when spirit is first or energy is first uh human intimacy isn't there because it's not i'm not I'm not being human first. And that's, that's great. Spiritual intimacy is a very, very different thing than human intimacy. And I, I work with people who have tremendous gifts in terms of intimacy with spirit, amazing gifts, you know, like, you know, and what they come with a hunger for is, yeah, but, but what about human intimacy, right? What about, what about this lifetime? What about my experience in a body as me? It doesn't, uh, it doesn't feel the same to snuggle up with God as it does to snuggle up with another living, breathing human being. And that's a, that, and I think propels so much of why people might decide to, to scratch the surface on what it might be to be a human being. From what you were talking about of like being a guide or a teacher or whatever label in different traditions. And there was some like, I don't know, I guess there was some essence of earnest that was moving through all of those different rules and traditions. But I, I'm curious, was there like, I don't know if this is true, but my perception of you is that you don't currently adhere to a particular tradition. Well, if that's true, I'm curious, was there a point where that happened for you? Like in, in exploring different traditions, was there a point where it didn't feel like, I don't know, where that didn't feel like part of your path anymore? You know, it's so funny. That's uh, such a great question. And it's interesting what it brings up in me. Because there's there, there's 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 like there's like a secret part of me here that I don't I don't get a chance to talk about uh, very often, but I I'm going to talk about it because here it is why not? Uh, but it's 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 fun to actually experience the kind of edginess here in me. Um, and I think the truth is is that um, part of my particularity, my humanity, I'm white. I'm 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 a I'm a colonial, right? Like so I'm a white person from North America, which really means basically like I've got no roots. Right? Like I my family, whoever they were, left largely Europe and the United Kingdom, you know, somewhere between a hundred, well, maybe like, you know, let's say seventy-five and hundred and fifty years ago. <clears throat> so th- there's barely any real you know rootedness there i mean i and there's a lot of people that talk about this cultural poverty that we have in in kind of privileged white north american culture um and yet i am still embedded in my own you know even from that european descent there's this kind of judeo-christian worldview that used to be the entire culture, right? I mean, it used to be part and parcel with politics. And then, you know, in a sense, probably with, you know, late uh, 18th century with the revolutions in France and the United States, you know, we started to have a sense that we might be able to divorce ourselves from that whole enmeshment. But anyway, um, 
And having explored a tremendous amount of the world's traditions and trained deeply in many, uh, you know, many of them, what I discovered for myself was that there was some deep homecoming when I said, what, what's the mystery here in my own, you know, I went, I grew up going to church. I grew up going to, you know, like kind of like everybody else did. Um, and I discovered that inside of my connection to, I suppose, um, Christianity, but really, you know, how, when I started to really get into the, what it felt like the, like the, the essence of was I discovered this world that would probably more, more easily be called tantric would, would more easily be associated with like real classical Tantra in which nothing is forbidden and nothing is required in which you're only free to stay. If you're free to go, uh, in which there is no path, but the path of, of, of becoming fully human, um, which bears very little resemblance to the institutional expression of Christianity, um, you know, in which, you know, which has just become another religious system of good, bad, and you, you know, this is how you get to be good. And this is if what you got to avoid to be bad. And this whole kind of moralistic, very nervous system based approach to life. But inside what I consider to be the, the essence of the the teachings of Jesus of Christ is this remarkable freedom uh, to live beyond the religious and political systems of what passes to be a a, a good person, a happy person, a, a a worthy person, and connect very very deeply with the heart. So. Um, one of the early saints of the Christian tradition, a guy named St. Irenaeus in the first or second century uh, said that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. It's like, wow. Um, you know, later on, Joseph Campbell, who's a hero of mine, you know, psychologically or philosophically anyway, you know, somebody who really influenced me a lot, 10 or 15 years ago when I was reading his stuff, it says that the purpose of life is to experience the rapture of being alive. And these, like these kinds of things have really like that essence of just like that, you know, life lived in the teeth of the wind in a sense, like just really in the moment and in the unknown of the moment, the mystery of the moment, the rapture of that moment, which could include, you know, uh, pain as well as pleasure. Um, and so, in a sense, I, I, I continue to feel really anchored inside of my relationship with, with that body of, that transmission. I'm going to say that. Um, I walk with, um, with that presence, in a sense. And yet, the institutional or traditional expression of that is something that uh, isn't part of my life anymore. Um, so it's, it's, uh, and it, it's an interesting, uh, journey because traveling through Zen and traveling through Tibetan Buddhism and, and traveling into the shamanic traditions of the indigenous cultures of North and South America, I found deep, deep resonance, but it never felt like home. And, uh, and there's something about this kind of Western Tantra that I call it, which, um, is a bit of an oxymoron.
but it, it to me those are the roots of of that 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 kind of revelation and the transmission into the world and so i do i do continue to have a very conscious connection to it dude cool <laughs> that was really beautiful and gosh i um i connected with a lot of what you were saying and well i'll share some of my path and like what was resonant for me but i'm at a point yeah, so I, I guess I had like a spiritual awakening, my first like my first time where I became conscious that like um spirituality was a thing, a thing in my life. That was like maybe four or five years ago, four years ago or so. And I started exploring traditions. I got very into Theravadan Buddhism for a while, and then relatively recently that something wasn't feeling fully resonant with that for me. Uh, honestly, mostly around that was like I don't know, Theravada Buddhism gave me a really good framework to dissolve my sense of self and to connect with the absolute, but it didn't give me a framework to express my feminine and it didn't give me a framework to orient myself towards a sense of life purpose. And it just felt like these gaping holes. And then I've since been getting into the world of men's work and um, not, well, yeah, I guess David Data and some like students of David Data. And that's been a very compelling world um, and I'm still hashing through it, but there's something in that world to me that feels very, that doesn't feel fully aligned with the subjectivity of gender to me. So I guess what I mean by that is, dude, I feel like everyone in that world, like everyone says like, yeah, masculine, it doesn't mean it's for men. It's something in everyone's essence. That's what people say, but that's not, at least that's not what I receive. I still like, as I explore that world, I can't get over this image of like what it means to be a man as having like optimum masculine energy. And I don't know, I'm, I'm just bumping up against that. But anyways, I'm, I'm just at a point now where like, I'll probably continue to explore traditions, getting interested in shamanic traditions as well recently. But the thing that it really drives me forward, I loved when you said um, living with, at the teeth of the wind or however you put that, because there's just something about life that I find most exciting when like everything is peeled off and I'm just like the rawest part of myself is leading me forward. And the things that um just living vulnerably, as vulnerably as possible and seeing where that takes me is just such a, um, it just feels like there's something inside of me that wants to express and I'm just letting that like rocket me places. And I really felt that coming alive when you were talking. And, and, and I, was, I was also wondering, a phrase that you said that was like really compelling um, that I'm curious for you to unpack is when you said, nothing forbidden and nothing required. What comes inside of that for you? For me, that's the, that's the essence I call it Tantra, um, but I think it's just, uh, I mean, you could call it the Tao. I mean, you could call it the way, you could call it whatever you wanted. Uh, but to me, it's, that's, that's in a sense the predicament and the beauty of, of, of becoming human. That we actually, if we truly drop into our hearts, and I don't even mean like, like you know, like, you know, I almost want to like hit myself every time I hear myself say that because it's such a, like that's such a cliche to drop into your heart. What most people, in my experience, call their hearts is nothing but a nervous system program about what we think our hearts are supposed to feel like. But like, because what do our hearts really feel like? Nothing. Our, our hearts don't. It's it's a it's a space. It's it's not an emotion. Our hearts aren't a feeling. But to really live from the heart, from that spaciousness, from is, is to actually get into this devastating freedom, and I really mean that like devastating freedom that nothing is forbidden and nothing is required because then what? Right. And, and you, and you think about the, you know, the, the average, you know, North American child who 
you know, middle-class American child, let's say, who, who grows up, you know, and, and there's a bunch of rules in the house and you don't, you know, you have to eat sitting down and finish your vegetables. And, you know, let's just say that this child is lucky enough not to be like, you know, brutally punished. They're still going to absorb the fact that there are rules. And that child is sent to kindergarten. And, and then the next, you know, 13 to, you know, if he goes to college or she goes to college, 17 years of their life, more if they're going to you know do postgraduate studies are going to be governed by some kind of like conditioning in which this is the proper way to be and then we've got gender norms on top of that and this and the, the dance between the sexes and the and you know and relationships and intimacy and all the rest of it and like holy crap by the time that we're you know old enough to really procreate ourselves we have been conditioned up the yin yang into you know things that are good and things that are not so good, and and are and moreover than that, we're, we've identified ourselves based on those, you know, inculcated stories about who I have to be in order to be myself. Actually, right? That's what it all comes down to. Like, wait a second, to be me means to be like this, to have this kind of experience, and obviously, you know, even the trauma in our early childhood and on into our adolescence, where a ton of more trauma happens. You know, uh, we're we're conditioned to think of ourselves in a particular way. You know, we could call that the ego or the false self, but basically, it's a sense of like, this is who I've got to be in order to be myself. This is the kind of experience I have to reproduce for myself in order to actually continue to exist. So when I talk about nothing forbidden and nothing required, it's like this devastating freedom, in which most human beings in our culture, and maybe it's different on other cultures, but again, I don't know because this is my culture. Most human beings have never lived a moment of their life in which nothing has been forbidden and nothing required. We don't know how to do that. Because um, who are we? You know, who the heck am I? If nothing is forbidden and nothing is required, do I still eat my broccoli before my apple pie? You know, do I, do I still, you know, want to have sex with women instead of men? Do I still, you know, um, you know, dress like my peer group did in high school? Uh, you know, who the heck am I when nothing is forbidden and, and, and nothing is required? And the reason why we don't live that way, I think, is a very good reason. Is because psychologically, that kind of freedom, if it's if it's um, artificially fabricated, which is what unfortunately many people do under the influence of chemicals and other substances uh, sometimes, when we artificially kind of strip away our conditioning, uh, what can actually happen is a deeply terrifying uh, world in which nothing is forbidden and nothing is required. Um, because without actually creating a container for that or an ability to live from that heart space, uh to the to the nervous system the idea that nothing is forbidden and nothing required is death right it's like it's uh it's like the end of who i am because i've got nothing to orient to and there are people who i you know you you maybe know these people too i that i've met that are actually literally institutionalized because their nervous system they 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 know the truth that nothing is forbidden and nothing is required or they've seen the truth but their nervous system can't handle that and they haven't yet been initiated in how to live from that heart space so there's this deep need to proceed 
at this at the speed or the pace of safety when we're when we're entering into these mysteries it's not just about downloading you know the the truth and and you know uploading and updating our operating system and you know with new information and going away we actually actually have to prepare our bodies um in order to our minds, our nervous systems, our hearts, in order to actually be sustainably able to live in the face of that devastating freedom. So that's part of what's involved in in that statement for me about nothing forbidden and nothing being required. Yeah, 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 that was legit. Um, the, the conditioning that I have, it's almost like I feel like I've got these walls in my mind or my consciousness and they're, they're everywhere and they're like guiding me places and they, they orient me and whether or not they're real or the, the walls I want to have, they're there. And I've also, I've had glimpses maybe in meditation or on psychedelics or in intimacy with another human being of those walls completely dissolving and then being in this space of nothing forbidden, nothing required. And it's, I've been in times when that space is terrifying, but like knowing I don't know, having read about it and knowing it's there, it has made it easier to surrender into that space. And I'm curious if a person is living from that space of nothing forbidden, nothing required, how do you orient yourself? Because like, it seems like the walls of conditioning are valuable for orienting oneself. So if they're not there, like what, what do you use to orient, orient you? Yeah, that's a great question. So the way that I would come at that question is is first of all by understanding how we orient what you call the walls i call nervous system tension so basically those are the strategies the, the in a sense the patterns i have neurologically in my nervous system that that filter my experience and it's interesting on some level it's tension right it's like it's like here's so when my nervous system is is holding my experience the only tool that it really has to hold my experience is tension and that tension is a strategy. Like it could be, it could be my strategy that, you know, like, um, being a man means, uh, you know, making a lot of money, something like that. That's a, that's a story, right? You could call it a story. I'm just reducing story to tension, right? It's, it's a particular tension pattern in my nervous system that believes something that orients the world in some way. And that holds my experience. Well, just out of curiosity, d does the idea of tension relate to a particular emotional response? Like, would that always be connected with, say, fear or something like that, or not necessarily? No, no. Actually, I th there's there there I, there's there are tension patterns that I think that people call happiness um, or fulfillment, but they're still basically it's like when the picture in my head about wh wh the way things are supposed to be matches the picture outside of myself about the way things are. I'm momentarily satisfied, but it's a nervous system version of satisfaction it's tension it's it's like there's a the map is still held in a kind of story line or a narrative yes okay yeah that makes sense and so living from the heart space to me is learning to live beneath i i what i say is beneath beyond and before my tension it's not that my nervous system tension goes away necessarily but that my heart actually is holding my experience in a different way than my nervous system. In my heart, what's holding my experience is not tension. It's, you could call it love, I think, uh, it, but it's not Hallmark love. It's not like warm, fuzzy teddy bear and chocolates love. It's more like, uh, you know, the deep, the love of deep heldness or deep acceptance, or again, my ten cent word, okayness, right? Like, uh, I everything's okay. 
I'm being, love is holding me having my experience. Or I could say, and this is often more powerful for me anyway, life is holding me having my experience in my heart space. That, that all of me and what I'm experiencing is actually being held by something other than my nervous system tension about the way things need to go for me to be okay. And so when I'm orienting, in fact, I'm, I'm, not, I'm no longer, I'm literally no longer orienting to the storyline of my nervous system tension, which from the nervous system's perspective is completely disorienting, right? So inside of that story, that sounds disorienting, but the actual experience of that from the heart space is one in which, and I'm going to use it, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny way to say it, but I don't know or not knowing is holding me having my experience, right? Like, like, like the willingness to, to, to simply arise along with life. Life is holding me having my experience. Love is holding me having my experience. My heart is holding me having my experience. I am holding me having my experience. There is some part of me that is not limited or defined by my nervous system tension and the walls and the stories with which I navigate by. And when we actually do the work, which is my work of becoming human, I suppose, when, when we do this work to learn how to cultivate and open our hearts and stay in our hearts and literally learn second by second to clock time so that I'm actually in the place where my experience is being held by life, by love, then even though to the nervous system, if I went up there, it would be freaking out because it feels disoriented. My actual experience is one of the deep heldness, deep orientation, even though I don't know what the f hell is going to happen <laughs> next, right? Even I have no freaking clue of, of what's going to happen next. But my heart's like, cool, no problem. So this is like the, you know, I, this to me, another way I say is this is the gospel of no problem. Like my heart says no problem. Orient to what? I've, I'm already being held by love. What's the problem? This is it. There's no reason to leave. Nothing is forbidden. Nothing is required from this place. Of course, to the mind, there's a whole bunch of things are, that are forbidden and required in order to maintain my sense of who I am. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. So like, I guess something I'm getting from that is, yeah, the ability to live in, I'll just call it the heart space because you used a lot of different words yeah. to describe it. Yeah, so like, like the ability to live in the heart space while letting my nervous system map do what it does and have its story is beautiful because my, my nervous system map can be anything and I can still be in my heart space. And I guess I'm seeing like, I don't know if the, to me, I guess what I consider to be the ultimate form of play and creativity, but just almost play for play sake is being able to rewrite my nervous system map, knowing that it doesn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily matter. Like the thing that at least to me seems to matter is that I can exist in my heart space. But once I'm in there, like being able to rewrite my nervous system map to me, it seems like the ultimate play because that's that's like reorienting how I view the world, reorienting how I navigate through the world that ripples out to like, ha like the material life that I'm creating for myself, all of that. But then it's pretty interesting because I find, well, a trap that is very easy to fall into is to, I often find myself over-prioritizing the rewriting of my nervous system map. And <laughs> for, 
it becomes another it becomes another agenda. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I mean that, and that's the, there's there's infinite pleasure for me, or you know, just humor, absurdity, when we realize that anything can become a religion. Like yeah. anything can become a religion. Even the heart space can become a religion. Right? Mm, like even right. even right. At, the moment it becomes an agenda, the moment yeah. it needs to be the thing that I need to do in order to be okay. Because what the ego system does is it uses, it doesn't care. It's amazing. I mean, I bow to my ego all the time. It's, it will use the most profound, free experience of my life and create a religion out of it, right? In term, it, it, which sucks me back into the, to another, just another story, <laughs> right? right? Just another story of the way things need to be in order for me to be okay. And before I know it, I'm, 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 I'm right. I'm, I'm taking a, an experience and creating a religion out of it. Uh, I, because that the degree of freedom inside the experience to my ego is literally unbearable. It means it's death. You know, I don't know if you've read much of, you know, Trungpa Rinpoche stuff in your travels, but he has an amazing poem called the final, a final word in which, you know, and he was the ultimate trickster, the ultimate, right. Talk about, you know, messing with the story about religion. Like he's, he's just masterful at it, but, and he was a guy who, you know, coined the term spiritual materialism in the first place. But basically he's like, look, we all think your ego thinks that the day of your enlightenment, the day of your awakening is going to be this massive celebration in which, you know, you're waited on by angels and gods and goddesses come and your disciples are throwing flowers at your feet. So that's what, that's what your ego thinks your day of awakening is. But really the day of your real awakening is for the ego, it's final and most bitter disappointment and death. And that means that what it's going to feel like to us, because our feelings, our emotions are largely nervous system patterns, it's going to feel like I'm dying, right? It's actually going to, it's not just like metaphorically, right? Like, the, which is why, you know, for me, new age spirituality is no more particularly advanced than any of the traditional stuff. It's because we're still trying to avoid death. Right. We're just, you know, we're trying to dissolve into a cloud of white light or we're trying to, you know, ascend to the masters or whatever we're trying to do. But if we're getting anywhere, it's going to feel like death. Because to, to, to leave my mental space means for my mental space that there's an experience of death happening there. There's an experience of like, this is all going away. I'm, I'm, I'm ceasing to exist. And and so that really is a sober, that's sober. I mean, that's sobering. Um, it's, it's not, it's not, you know, one of my teachers used to say, you know, enlightenment is not what you think it is. It can't be. It's not what you, you can't, you can't conceptualize it. The minute you can conceptualize it, that's not it. Cause it exists. That awakening is, is in a sense of dropping through or beyond or underneath that nervous system. And the kind of awakening that I'm, most interested in isn't upwards, isn't into spirit, but it's actually down into human, down into my heart. Uh, and, and so that actually means in be getting really intimate with that experience of like disappointment of this isn't working out the way that I thought it would. Um, which is for me, the story of every human relationship I've ever had with anybody, lover, friend, dog, 
you know, this didn't, this isn't turning out, this isn't going the way that I thought it was. Um, tomorrow is going to unfold differently than I think it will, right? My projections of predictability on my life are never accurate. Uh, and yet I keep on making them and living as if they, you know, as if they will be. Um, because I don't want to experience that devastating freedom, which at the same time is is death. You know, this is for me why Kali carries a sword and whacks our heads off, you know, has the garland of skulls around her. Why? Because it's, it's, it's death. I mean, so this idea of disappointment, yeah, dude, that's, that's spot on. Like, nothing is what I've expected it to be. Like, <laughs> nothing whatsoever is what I expected it to be. Some of it's like kind of exciting surprises. A lot of it's disappointment, for sure. Like, relationships are so unpredictable. And then when my heart is open and on the line, it just, there's so much room for disappointment. And my life projects, like, I'm I'm attached to my vision. I'm attached to my dreams. And, like, things are working out interestingly, but certainly not the way I planned. And I'm wondering, where is there space for, uh, like, envisioning, for having dreams, knowing that, like, disappointment will certainly ensue? Yeah. I mean, to be human, I think, is to is to have dreams that we know will be broken. It's to love. It's to fall in love with something and somebody that will inevitably go away. I mean, to be human is to have a broken heart, right? To, right, to be human, to love anything, is to love something that will die. Whether it's a situation, an event, a moment, a person right? Like that thing is not going to stay the same. And yet to really give our hearts to it, to be fully open to it intimately is to set ourselves up to be for heartbreak. So I think this is the real, you know, why this path of becoming human, you could call it the tantric path, whether it's Eastern or Western is so rare. It's because it's basically saying yes to heartbreak. Like, yes. It, so it, 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 it's even saying, I'm going to envision, <laughs> I'm going to set about, you know, <clears throat> manifesting my reality. I'm going to, I'm going to do my best to have the, the most conscious relationship and the most beautiful, you know, sacred connection and sexuality and all the rest of it that I think I can knowing with one eye, you know, with, with one eye, knowing that it's not going to be the way that I think it will. And inevitably, if I'm, if I'm there for it, my heart's going to get broken, like it already has been a thousand times, and it will continue to be. But underneath all of that is like, there's like actually an indestructibility, right? Which is like the freedom to say yes to, to what life actually is. You know, the freedom to say yes to heartbreak, the freedom to say, you know, rather than mitigate against it, rather than saying, you know, if you don't want anything, or if you train yourself to to desire less, <clears throat> you know, then you can, you know, you can avoid the disappointment. I'm like, what a boring way to live. I mean, like, I don't, that doesn't feel like, you know, that might be for some ascetics, some saints in some caves and some mountain range somewhere. Uh, maybe that's their path. I don't know. But life lived in the marketplace, life, life lived in the teeth of the wind is to uh to grieve uh fully there's a 
I don't know if you ever come across Khalil Gibran's The Prophet. Do you know that poem? Haven't haven't read it, but have certainly heard okay. of it. Yeah. So he talks about this in 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 one of the chapters. It's called On Love, and he says, um, you know, just as love crowns you, he could just as easily for me say life. Just as life crowns you, so will life crucify you. Uh, you know, but he says if you seek to leave life love love's threshing floor and you we think about we don't have that image in our mind because we don't thresh anything anymore but threshing right is like when you take a big stick and you beat the wheat until the grain is separated from the hull and the wheat is separated from the chaff right like you're literally like getting it's like beaten like that's what it is it's it's like (laughs) physical force being you know um if you seek to leave love's life's threshing floor you can he says, but you will pass into a seasonless world where you will laugh, but not all of your laughter and you will weep, but not all of your tears. And to me, so much of our programming, whether it's from consumer culture or spiritual culture is actually a doorway out of the threshing floor. And I guess the decision I made probably when life started to really, really suck you know, uh, six or seven or eight years ago was I made a conscious decision to stay on the threshing floor because I wanted to, I wanted to laugh and I wanted it to be all of my laughter and I wanted to weep and I wanted it to be all of my tears. So in that way, everything belongs. Envisioning, manifesting, doing our best, masculinity, femininity, all the polarity, all the, you know, all that stuff. Great. Uh, But let's, always right but with this awareness that where's this going heartbreak (laughs) no problem no problem right because in that freedom something even deeper than my heartbreak is holding me right because i'm not scared of it anymore it's just like that's the rapture of joseph campbell's for me anyway this is the rapture of being alive i'm going to stay on the threshing floor i'm going to be laughing and i'm going to laugh all my laughter and i'm going to cry i'm going to weep but not all of my tears or and all of my tears and that to me is becoming human. I want to weep and I want to laugh. And I want to do it all. I want to live the fullness of that. Uh, for such a long time, Mike, my life was all about trying to steer it so that it would be, you know, 80 20 laughter versus tears. Or like, you know, I would settle for 70 30 maybe, like really trying to like, right, steer it and manage it and do the right things. Uh, And, you know, when people come to me to work, to do this work, I tell them, if you haven't convinced yourself that that's impossible yet, please go and try again. Because if you can do it, and there's even like, you know, 1% of you that still thinks you can go do that, nothing I say is going to make any sense to you. Because that 1% is going to be like, yeah, but like, go do it first, right? If that takes you another five years, 10 years, 25 years, another lifetime, Go try. Because this seems to me to be the place that people get to really when we're like, fuck. (laughs) That shit doesn't, like, I can't do it. Even if it's for other people. Maybe other people can do it. Maybe those other people out there on Facebook or Instagram who seem like they're doing it are doing it. Maybe they are. But I can't. I've given, right? I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give up this this project and what else what's left when nothing is forbidden and required me 
I'm left. And that to me, the magic or the beauty or the rapture of being in that kind of relationship with myself, my life, with the threshing floor is of a, you know, I could call it sacred, but that almost makes it sound other than, you know, it's, it's, it's so ordinary. And yet I think the word is beautiful, full of beauty that I, I, for me, I, I don't want to live any other way and I don't want to work with, to help people live in any other way. That's just the people that, you know, that's my shtick. Uh, for, for you know, for now, I guess. I mean, who knows? It could change, but that's what really gets me out of bed every morning. It's such it's such a deep calling. Hmm. Wow, dude, that was um, that was a really amazing. <laughs> that was really amazing. That was an amazing uh, couple minutes of expression, and I want to reflect my experience and what came up for me. But a, a question that first I wanted to ask you is. Why do you think heartbreak is so terrifying? Because it really, it feels like the fear of heartbreak in the, in the paradigm you're describing is ultimately what um, holds people back from being fully human. And I'm, I'm wondering, like, what is it about heartbreak that's so scary? Here's the best shot I've got at an answer for that. Because I think that that's a perennial, in a sense, a mystery. I mean, what we're talking right now here, we're getting into the architecture of the ego, basically. But to me, heartbreak is the signature of living a life inside a life in which we are not in control. In which the only freedom I have is the freedom to love rather than to control. And... I think the reason why we generate so much fear of heartbreak is because it's the ego's trump card. It's the kryptonite it wields <laughs> that, that in a sense is the strongest reason that we're, we're going to always sign up for another year or another contract with the ego, right? That our false self, we're going to sign up for the nervous system again and again, because at the end it says, yeah, but, but heartbreak. Right. And so I actually think the fear of heartbreak is a nervous system tension. It's a story and it's a compelling story because it's, it's generations. I mean, you know, millennia of, of human condition have gone into avoiding this experience of, of heartbreak. And yet in my experience, when we can enter into heartbreak with one eye open, what we discover inside of heartbreak is that it's, it's, it's an arising that's held in love. Our hearts don't break if there is no love there. You've probably been in those situations in relationships. There's no heartbreak when there's no love there. And, 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 and even what we call heartbreak sometimes isn't really heartbreak. You know those, those times when you're like really like having a devastating nervous system experience, but then like you know that you like catch sight of yourself in the mirror for a second, you can snap out of it and it like in like a heartbeat. Just be like, I'm totally fine. And be like, no, I'm not. I'm not fine at all. Right? Like, right? Like, heartbreak isn't even what we think it is. Because heartbreak from the experience of the of the heart space is simply life. Right? It's 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 and and, and there's such deep well-being pleasure in being alive. 
right? The glory of God being a human being fully alive. Like there's so much deep rapture in, in, in being alive that, that the experience of heartbreak or disappointment is actually held inside of this deeper freedom. But I think the fear of heartbreak is the fear of losing control, the fear of, of having, an, you know, in a sense, consenting to be alive in the first place, because we're not in control, whether or not what, you know, show me the person who's in control of their life, right? And, and, and I'll, I'll show you a, somebody who's insane. You know, like, of course, we're all that, you know, but we're not in control of our life. Life is uncontrollable. And this, I, I, I really, I know I take a, this is me taking a stark right or left turn off the road of, you know, I co you know, I create my life. I co-create everything. It's all a per production of my thoughts. I'm like, you know what, what you think is your life is totally a production of your thoughts. hundred percent. That's your nervous system. Those are the walls. That's, that's your story. That's your orientation. You might never see the, a green duck because you don't believe in green ducks. I get it. Uh, but what actually is life arising is 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 completely uncontrollable and i think that scares the hell out of us um it scares the hell out of us from our nervous system perspective um but from the heart no problem cuz it's life i mean there's no other way it could be it's the it's the prerequisite for being a human being is to actually live in a world that we we don't control there's no version of being human in which we control our world. And I don't know about you, but like I used to think that that's what spirituality was all about. Meditation, sh all the shamanic healing and stuff that I did, all the access to the higher realms. I was like pretty sure that what I was doing was like getting, gaining control over my earthly life so I wouldn't have to suffer anymore. That's what I was doing. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm outing myself. Maybe I'm like alone in the world. Uh, but, but that's what I was doing all those hours. Oh my God. All those retreats, all those silence, silent, you know, days on end, the monastic practice, all of it. I was, I was, I was in a sense trying to solve the problem that I considered life to be instead of finding a way inside of it. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your experience. Totally. Well, first of all, that's, uh, kind of a beautiful full circle of bringing it back to the desire for control versus at the very beginning when you were talking about the choice of being penetrated by life or trying to control life. And yeah, just a couple of reflections of what was coming up for me was, whew, for one, like living life fully, that, that phrase has just been like, I don't know, for the past month or so, I'm trying to understand what that means to me, but it's becoming very important and a theme that was coming up when you were talking was like commitment like to live knowing that heartbreak is going to happen like that means I'm fucking committed to what I'm doing I'm not I don't have one toe in the pool one toe in the relationship one toe in the career I'm like full body in there going for it seeing what'll happen letting myself get ripped to shreds or whatever and just like it just like evokes such a desire for me to just live in full commitment and being willing to face whatever pain comes from that. And the, the reflection I wanted to share though is, um, uh, I, Ooh, I'm nervous to say this cause now I know I, I'm, I will have to do it, but, uh, there's a, my heart is opening to a woman and that hasn't happened in a long time. And I'm seeing her tonight and I know wanting to utter the words, I love you, which have like a strong cultural, uh, symbology to them, but still mean a lot. 
uh, I know they're coming out and I know they're going to come out at any moment. And I just now have a desire to like, let those words come out of me to her. And in the process, use that as like a sim symbolical, uh, opening of my heart so that it can be broken. So I, I thank you for like the, uh, the nudge, the nudge for me. Yeah. I, I pick up the ripples of that. That's, that's vulnerability right there. Right. That's the rapture of being alive. Because what, what, right? To, yeah. to, to yeah. not know, <laughs> to just not know, to step into yeah. that not knowing. I love that. And, and the thing that comes up for me around commitment, because I think you're, you're absolutely right, is it strikes me that, and this is part of the work that I do with people, is that we actually are committed every second of our life. It's just what, what am I committed to? And there, there again is the distinction. Am I committed to my nervous system? Most people live lives a hundred percent committed to their nervous system, right? They will, right? Like, forget it, like forget it, right? Anything that seems to get in the way, I, no way. I am a hundred percent committed. Even if that looks like not being committed to my career or my relationship or my job or, you know, or my unfolding at all, right? I'm so committed to my nervous system, but I don't see that. I don't, I'm not right. That level of commitment is often invisible to us. And what part of this work that I do with people is, is peeling back the veil and revealing what we're actually committed to, you know, without without being consciously aware of it. There are people who are committed to misery, baby, right? Like, oh my God, right? Committed to, to, to poverty, committed to loneliness. Why? Because it's familiar, right? Because th their sense of self, however it got laid down, right? Constructed itself to say, I'm lonely. Or like let, I'll use myself as as being like I am. For me, it's probably more something like I'm broken, right? I right. Ernest in my from my nervous system perspective doesn't exist unless I can consistently reproduce the experience of being broken. I am so committed to being broken that I will literally find a way to feel that way, even if it's not true. And of course, from the level of my heart space, it's not true at all. That's not true. I'm not broken. But like, boy, am I ever committed to that. But I don't go, I go through life thinking, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to heal myself, right? I'm trying to heal myself. That's another story. There's another agenda in there. I'm going to heal myself from feeling broken. You can't heal the mind with the mind though. You can't, I, I can't, I, maybe you can. Sorry, I should have said, I can't heal my mind with my mind. Uh, it's like deck chairs being rearranged on the Titanic. I, I, I can't, I can't make out how that's even possible. I tried for a long time, decades, try to heal my mind with my mind, just coming up with a better story about myself, chanting affirmations in the mirror, and you know, like. But it's my mind with my mind. It just, but the this other commitment that I can make is a commitment to the space in which I don't know who who I am. I am just being who I am. Right, and I know who I am not by the story I tell myself, but by discovering what I I end up doing. So, to use your example, you may discover later on today that you're the kind of person who says "I love you" to this new woman in your life, and you will not one minute before you find yourself uttering those words, will you know for sure that that's who you are until you do it, right? Because before before then, it's 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 actually a story, and life lived lived in the teeth of the wind is like is like the intimacy staying so close to the arising of this moment. What am I doing now? What do I know that I'm committed to? Talking to you, 
I'm 100% here, 100% committed to talking to you. I actually don't know if I'm committed to, I think I'm going to pick my son up from camp in a, in a little while. Uh, I'm pretty sure, but I don't know that. I'll, I'll, I'll know that the minute I'm in the car on my way to picking him up, right? So there's this humility, this willingness to reserve story creation about who I think I am and who I think I will be. And instead getting really intimate with like who I am right now, you probably have met and do this to yourself. Cause I do, I, I find myself saying all the time, Oh, I want, I want to live. I want to live in community. I say, you know, um, or for me, I want to buy a motorcycle, right? I've looked at motorcycles for two years every night, right? Before I go to bed, I'll take 10 minutes and really what new motorcycles were posted on Craigslist today. I don't want to buy a motorcycle. I want to look at motorcycles on the internet. That's what I want to do. I'm 100% <laughs> right, right. committed to looking at motorcycles on the internet. I'm about 0% committed to buying one. Right. Because I haven't, right? When, when I buy one, I'll know that that has changed and not a moment before. So I think you can get the sense here. It's like it's really dropping underneath the narrative of my life, which is what so much of us are used to. You know, we're, what we're so used to creating and sharing on social media and all the rest of it and getting into this real granularity, which is like almost more of like revelation. Like, here's what I'm discovering about my life as I live it. Right. Like notes from this notes from the present moment. <laughs> right. I'm not pick, I, I'm not committed to picking up my son. <laughs> I'm still on the phone with Mike, you know, or you know, whatever it is. I thought I was going to be this way. It's not that way. I didn't think I was the person who would say I love you and now I am. Why? Cuz I just said it. Not because I thought it. That the, the the thought is you know, for me, meaning almost meaningless. Cuz it's just more nervous system tension. So there's like a real sharp edge. Um and I think it's, you know, it cuts down the middle of so much of polarity work, relationship work, men's work, women's work, um in which we're just substituting a different story for our old story. And maybe that is a more satisfying world to live in, a more satisfying castle of nervous system tension to be in. And maybe it is. And and that's got its own value. I mean, might as well have the, the nicest nervous system castle we can. But it's still a nervous system castle. Beautiful. Ernest, this could go on for a while, but we're running into time. And I'm curious, where can people find you and why would they look you up? Well, people can find me online. That's the easiest, uh, ernestmorrow.com, E-R-N-E-S-T-M-O-R-R-O-W.com. And people will find me because they know deep down that something else is possible and they don't want to live in a world where they laugh, but not all of their laughter and weep, but not all of their tears. And for many people, they don't want to be done with this lifetime without finding out how far they can get into intimacy with themselves and with another. And that, that tends to be really the, one of the deep driving forces that would make people crazy enough to step into the devastating freedom of nothing, nothing forbidden and nothing required is, is I want to love and I want to know love. I want to abide with love and I don't want to stop myself short anymore. And I kind of know I have been and, uh, and 
and help. And, uh, and what makes that such a precious thing for me is I only really work with a handful of people at any one time because I don't really, uh, this is my own experience. I hated, uh, rent a friend, you know, in which I would pay somebody, a counselor, a shaman, a guide, you know, this amount of money for this much time. And, um, and then I drop off the radar until the next time I paid them. Uh, and so I don't work like that with my clients. I, I, I work much more um, relationally. And so, uh, you know, the people that also find me are the people that want, actually want somebody to like get in there with them and talk every other day or text and get really inside of what is it that's preventing me from living from my heart. And that's going to show up on a Saturday afternoon, not for 50 minutes on a Monday every two weeks. And so that's uh, that's something I I talk about from the outset because that's the kind of intimacy that that allows for more intimacy. Ernest, thank you so much for your time and for bringing your full presence and energy. Gosh, I'm leaving um, this conversation feeling such a surge of vivacity and an appreciation for the beauty that you were able to evoke with your to evoke with your words. So thank you so much. Really, really appreciate it. It's such a pleasure to have these kinds of conversations, Mike. Thanks for all your questions. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a gift to be able to speak passionately. So I feel the same vitality. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Hey friends. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you got something out of this episode. I know that I sure had a blast with it. If you enjoy this podcast, please head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. I'm offering an exchange right now where if it feels in alignment for you to give this podcast five stars, then send me a message on Facebook, let me know you did it, and then I'll sit down, take some time to grok your profile, and I will write you a thoughtful and sincere compliment. Truly, please take me up on it. And if this episode touched on something you think a friend might find titillating, pass it on to them too. And I just want to say, I bring my utmost sincerity to each of these conversations, and I really do want to spread vibes and information that cause people to reflect and deepen and just live a more honest, kind, and vivacious life. Because I really believe that the state of the world needs everything that we can give it. It needs people to be at full capacity. It needs people to be living their life fully and giving their greatest positive impact to humanity. And so if I can just flick over one domino with this podcast that flicks over a couple more that lead people into living their life fully and giving back to the earth, then by Jove, man, I will be a happy dude. So trying to do my part here and any help, love, and support, I would just so greatly appreciate. And at the very least, I am super appreciated that you listened to this episode and much love, folks. I'll see you next time.